Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by Adrian Wilson. I feel really naked without my guitar. I kind of thought like maybe I should just wear my guitar while I'm speaking. It'll make me feel a lot more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, can I use yours? <laughs> Um, before we start, I see a couple new faces. I I don't want to put you on the spot. Do you mind if I just ask your name before we start? Priya. Priya? Nice to meet you. And, uh, Natasha. Natasha, welcome. Um, I'm Adrian. This is actually my first time speaking, so we'll see how this goes. Um, so yeah, we've been in a series on wholeheartedness. Um, I just want to give a little bit of a recap of some of the takeaways that I've taken from the last few weeks and, and then maybe get some of your input feedback as well. Um, so Chris has talked about the fact that we're created in God's image, um, that God forms us initially. We are formed people. Um, and Jesus is wholehearted, and so we're made in his image, so we are meant to be wholehearted just like he is. Um, but then we're thrust into the world and into culture, and that has a way of forming us as well. The the shopping malls and the, the sporting events and just life form, has a way of forming us. Um, you know, we have this fight against consumerism and individualism and all these different things that are fighting to, to form us in different ways, right? Um, but God's <clears throat> original intent for us remains unchanged. We're created to be wholehearted. And Chris gave this definition, which I love, uh, which is up here. Living into the promises and invitations of the kingdom without reservation, without a plan B. Um, And then uh, Todd came last week, and he was speaking a little bit on the kingdom of God. And how many of us were here? It was a pretty small group. Yeah. so. Uh, So he was talking about, so Jesus comes uh, God incarnate, and he is like plopped into this pool, like the center of the the rings there, and he creates this movement in the water, and the rings start to come out from the center, and um, he's talking about the expanding edge of the kingdom, and the outermost ring is the expanding edge, and we're to try to be on that expanding edge, or that's what our hope are, would be anyways. Um... Yeah, and so more, I loved the uh, more succinctly wholehearted, wholeheartedness just means an unreserved yes. An amen. Amen means yes. Um, Chris also talked about uh, the fact that we are first loving and feeling creatures, not thinking creatures. So we fundamentally make our decisions with our with our gut, with our with our love, and then we rationalize those decisions with our minds, with our our thinking. Um, so just another reason to live wholeheartedly is because that's where our decisions are coming from. That's what's forming us. What's what's like motivating us. Chris, uh, yes, actually, Todd told the story of um, 
he was in India, actually he was in Nepal, and um, they were heading towards India, and they started to see, so in Nepal you have all sorts of transportation types, you have you know trains and um, cars, bicycles, whatever, but as they started to get closer to India, they started to see the rickshaws, which are like the you know the two wheel little wagon thing that gets pulled by a person. <laughs> um, but you only see these in India. But as they started getting closer to India, they started to see these rickshaws, and so they knew they were getting closer to India because they were seeing the rickshaws. And I thought that was such a really good example of us. Um, we see, we start to see instances of the kingdom and we start to see the kingdom breaking through. We're not yet there fully, but we're starting to see glimpses of it. And I thought that was such a really great example of uh, the kingdom. Did anyone else have any takeaways from the last few weeks that, any insights, any, anything that really hit you? If you didn't, that's okay. I just thought I'd make space for that. <laughs> I like that um, about the, how he talked about the, the kingdom center lens on life helps us to understand that the activity of God is the center of God's work on earth. And that includes church gathering, and so it's not living in God's kingdom is about learning to live in God's kingdom. It's not about just learning to live in church. I really, really like that. Amen. So, yeah, that we can kind of get turned around backwards thing in the church. He is God's activity on earth. Hmm. Yeah. Right. That was my thing. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, and he also talked about, um, you know, the what would Jesus do? He said, I don't think, I think that's the wrong question. I think we should be asking what is Jesus doing? Um, and, you know, the whole idea of we're not actually meant to initiate. God's already initiated. We're just called to see what, what is he doing already? Where's, where's he at work? Cool. So Chris asked me to speak on worship, which frightened me. Um, <laughs> Not the worship part, the speaking part. <laughs> um, so I was going back. I, I had missed a couple uh, mornings, so I was listening through to some of the podcasts, which is super handy now that they're on, uh, you know, Spotify and all that. Um, and I was kind of, you know, I was praying, asking God what I should be talking about. And one kind of practical question st- stuck out to me. Um, how? How? So, yes, we want to be formed. We want to be wholehearted. How do we do that? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm just really practical or something. But So how are we formed into people who live into the promises and invitations of the kingdom without reservation? And so I was thinking about a bit on that and thinking, okay, how am I going to tie that into worship? And I had read this book, actually, that you had that you had uh, mentioned in one of your earlier talks, um, Desiring the Kingdom, <clears throat> which is, I actually only got about halfway through it because it's super thick. <laughs> but if anyone's interested in it, it's a really, really good book. Um, and he talks about 
worship being the thing that forms our desires and our longings and forms our love. And so I thought, you know, this is, I think this actually ties in perfectly. Um, I just wanted to start with a story here. Mountain biking. So this is not the answer to my question, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> um, so that's me. A uh, couple of years ago, I, um, God put this, gave me this gift of this really, really awesome mountain bike. I hadn't owned a bike since then. I haven't owned a bike since I was probably 12. Um, but I had been, I had been thinking, you know, I think mountain biking might be something I might be interested in. I was looking for, to be a little more active and what can I be doing to be active? And, and this just miraculously just kind of fell into my lap. Um, there's a story there, but I won't, I won't go into that. So I started riding the bike. Um, there's so many trails in Guelph. So I would, I would be going to the Guelph Lake trails, the Gorba trails. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of trails near my house. And uh, us Wilsons, we kind of dive right into things wholeheartedly. <laughs> the, we are, my grandpa used to say, us Wilsons work hard and us Wilsons play hard. Um, so I was diving into YouTube videos to see, like, how, how can I be a better mountain biker? You know, cornering skills and all sorts of, you know, how do you maintain your bike? And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just really diving into this, watching all sorts of mountain bike videos, as my wife will attest. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm spending lots of time. I'm, I'm maintaining this bike. It's, it's a really nice bike. So I'm, I'm learning how to take care of it. After every ride, I would come home and I would, I would take the wheels off, take the disc pads out, and I'd clean it all up, and you know, taking really meticulous care of it. Um, and I'm finding myself to really desire to be riding. And this is what I'm thinking about day and night. I can't wait to hit the trails. Um, my friend groups are, are changing. I'm starting to hang out with people who like to mountain bike. Um, I am connecting with them on Facebook and, or not Facebook, but uh, other social media. Um, I'm using Strava. Strava is this great app that allows you to track your rides and kind of, you can compare your rides against other people, see how well you're doing and compete with them and you can compete with yourself. And so I'm doing this and I'm trying to improve, trying to get better. And, and so my desires, my longings are being formed, right? Um, and then one day, <laughs> my daughter Maya uh, says, Dad, do you like mountain biking more than mom? <laughs> and she says, it, she says it kind of in a teasing voice, but it, it hits home, you know? <laughs> so I tell that story just, just partly as a confession <laughs> and, and also just to illustrate that the rhythms and the practices that I had gotten into were forming my, my desires. 
and my love. Um, maybe just take a minute. Can you think of any areas in your life where there is longing or desire that may have been influenced by rhythms, patterns? Just take a second and think on that. You may not want to share that, but does anyone have anything that... Yeah, Rhino. Yeah, so Ryan is saying, continually seeking the kingdom. And what does the kingdom mean today? Um, is forming patterns in her, in her life. Thank you. That's great. Now, just to be clear, like, there's nothing wrong with mountain biking. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Thank you. It's true. So we're formed by the rhythms, habits, and practices, and I would say narratives. Um, I haven't actually read this book, but Ali mentioned to me that she talks a lot about the stories that we tell ourselves. Uh, Brene Brown does, and um, the the story that we tell ourselves actually forms forms us, and we we become that, we, we kind of step into that, which can be a negative thing and can also be a positive thing. Actually, uh, sports psychologists would probably say the same thing. I think I saw a YouTube video of Arnold Schwarzenegger where he talked about, you know, he won the bodybuilding competition, whenever that was, by telling him, continually telling himself the story that he was the champion. And, uh, and then he ended up winning. Does it make sense so far? Like the rhythms and practices and narratives we, we kind of, that forms who we are, what we love? Um, if our longing and desire is to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to be on the expanding edge of the kingdom, which it is. Yeah? Yeah? Yes? Good. <laughs> uh, then we need rhythms and shapes Rhythms that shape our desires. We need to immerse ourselves in God's narrative. And I believe this is the role of worship. At least one of the primary roles of worship. 
in the context of gathered worship, we often think of the upward expression, that we are giving something to God. Um, And clearly we are. This is a really important part of worship. In fact, it's one of the only things we can give God, is is worship, that he doesn't have already. (laughs) Um, But it's, that is not the whole of worship, this upward um, direction. Uh, worship is also formative. It's the, the place where God forms us. Um, <clears throat> when we're gathered, we are not. We are being molded and transformed. I came across a, a definition of transformed, which I liked, which was sent out different than we came in. So, in during worship, we're not only it's not only upward, but we're also being formed and, and transformed. We become what we worship. We begin to take on the character and values of the object of our worship, which to me was clear in the, um, the mountain biking example. Worship is vital for our transformation because this is where we continuously, week after week, immerse ourselves in God's narrative, the narrative of rescue, reconciliation, Redemption, compassion, forgiveness, justice, mercy, beauty. We begin to take on these values, and our longings and desires are slowly formed. His desires become our desires. So how does worship do this? I'm just going to take a quick sidestep. I promise you it it will uh, fit in here. Um, we actually talked about this a little bit at the men's retreat, so this will be somewhat familiar to some people, but I read this book called Building a Discipling Culture by Mike Breen. Amazing book. I highly recommend it. Um, he talks about the var- various shapes um, like geometric shapes that are used as metaphors for helpful ways of teaching and discipling people. And one of those shapes is the three A's triangle. Um, approval, appetite, and ambition being the three sides of that triangle. And he says that, uh, actually I was going to read from here, one second. He says this very succinctly, so I thought I would just read it. These are the defining marks of our humanity, approval, appetite, and ambition. The humanity that Jesus came to share. We need God's approval. We have appetites that should be recognized. And we have ambition that must be directed by God if we are to fulfill our God-given destiny as the children of God. Approval, appetites, and ambition undergird our existence. And so, of course, Jesus embraced these three things as he recapitulated our story and restored these expressions of our humanity and put them in their rightful place. We do this, to do this, sorry, He was willing to be tested, tempted, and tried. 
Jesus entered the wilderness, a picture of what the world has become since Adam and Eve left the garden. And the devil did his best to subvert him as he had subverted the first man and woman. Turn these stones to bread, the devil said. In other words, rely on yourself for the needs that are so obvious to you now that you're hungry. Appetite. Throw yourself from the highest point of the temple or demonstrate God's affirmation of you as his angels catch you on your way toward the ground. Approval. Take over all the kingdoms of the world. Just let me stay on the throne of the world, the devil said. He meant, you can easily fulfill your desire to reach every nation. Just do it my way. Ambition. I'm sure like that like so many others, you and I wrestle with these basic temptations. We all struggle with them. So let's see how following Jesus' example and listening to Jesus' words in the desert help us face and fight these temptations. So these are like God-given needs, actually. Uh, approval, appetite, and ambition. Um, and actually, you see these in Genesis, uh, in the Garden of Eden. Um, but they're also, it depends on how we fill them, right? How we fill the needs. So here's just a picture version. So appetites, we can fill those with stuff, with money, with food, with sex, approval. Uh, we can fill with people-pleasing and acceptance. Uh, ambition, power, and self-importance. And I don't know about your example, that if, if you had thought of an example for yourself, but for mountain biking, um, these had been formed like for approval. My as as I was growing up, I was always the scrawny little kid. I I never I was never involved with any sports. Um, my siblings all wrestled and they played rugby and and so for me, mountain biking was a sport that I could be involved in that I was good at and get a sense of approval from. Um, Ambition, for me, it was filling a need of ambition for adventure and risk-taking. Um, so I was, I was filling those needs. And those are good needs, right? They're not, it's not that they're bad needs. It's just uh, how we're filling them. Sorry, I'm just finding my spot here. So this is basically my thesis, if you will, that wholeheartedness, as we've been talking about, is formed by worship. And specifically, worship in general, like as in our lives, but specifically I wanna talk about um, how it's formed by gathered worship and the form of gathered worship and w the rhythms and practices that we, that we um, engage with as we gather together. Um, okay, so yeah, how does worship do this? When I think about a form, 
I think about concrete forming and you know if you want to make something in the shape of something then you build a form to that's in that's in that shape or actually the inverse of that shape and um, so for example these concrete forms you know we a concrete crew will come in and spend a whole day just setting up these forms um, and then they'll have it poured in half an hour um, so the form itself, as in the structure that creates the shape of something, is really, really important. Um, so what is the form of worship? So we've got, I, I, I want to break it into three kind of main areas. The first being the call to worship, and then the second um, story, which encapsulates a lot of what we do. And then thirdly, the benediction or the sending out. Um, so how do each of these form us? So the gathering, the call to worship, we gather because he calls us, he initiates. And I think this forms our identity or helps to form our identity. Um, after a week filled with the noisy, conflicting messages from the world about who we are or who, or who we should be, the call to worship confirms our true identity as people who are loved and called by God. Um, it also forms our, our, our need for belonging, that we, we belong. Um, it strengthens us by giving us comfort and reassurance However confused we might be, however shabby the circumstances of the past week have been, we still belong to him. So the call to worship uh, forms our affirmation. Or sorry, our approval. Forms our approval by, by forming our, our identity in him. And then the uh, the story. So I, I, I am gathering up the singing and the, the um, sermon, sto uh, speaking, the communion as storytelling. Um, so we're, we're telling ourselves stories. We're immersing ourselves in narratives. Uh, we sang this morning about rescue. We sang about God's goodness. Uh, these are stories that we're continually over and over telling ourselves and they are, they are forming our desires. They're forming our longings. So as we sing about rescue and reconciliation and beauty and God's goodness, those things start to, you know, we take the shape of those things. Uh, those become the form that we start to look like the more, the more and more we do it. So it forms our appetite for rescue, reconciliation, beauty, justice, etc. Um, it teaches us to see how God is at work, like Todd was saying last week. Um, because especially when we're telling stories, and as, and I think we wanted to start doing this more often, we, we did it a few weeks ago, where we told stories of what, what's God doing? And Todd st told a great story last week that was super encouraging to me because it was so practical. He was at his, a neighbor's gathering, the kids were playing, and he met a girl at, there that he hadn't met before. He just introduced himself, 
And long story short, they, they ended up having them come to their house and pray for them. And um, the baby, which had a, she was pregnant, and the baby had all sorts of abnormal stuff going on. And they, they ended up becoming a huge part of these people's lives and being able to pray for the baby. And the baby miraculously was born um, and lived and was healthy. So that, that was really cool because it all started just with showing up to a neighborhood gathering, you know, and taking the step to say, hey, can I pray for you? Um, so I, I say that because that was a story that um, was encouraging and um, helped me to see what stepping into the kingdom could look like in my life. So rehearsing the story is forming our um, appetite. And then the, the benediction, so this third uh, form of worship, is uh, the benediction is being sent. So being sent on God's mission. So worship concludes in a benediction that is both a blessing and a charge, sending us out into the world as his image bearers. Um, and I would suggest that this is forming our ambition um, it's making us clear on what our mission and purpose is. Uh, we are to go out equipped and eager to be God's hands and feet in this world. And it reorients our life in the world. Is that making sense so far? Yes, we've got we've got this gathered worship. It looks like, you know, at, at a really high level, it's this call to worship. It's forming our approval, it's story, which is forming our appetite, and benediction, which is forming our ambition. I think it's important to be clear that it's not the form in and of itself that's um, it's not enough just to have that form. It's, because that would just be religion. Um, we talked about, actually dad talked about months ago, hacking the code. And the code was, if you obey, then you'll be loved. If you do these things, then you'll be loved. Um, and that's not what I'm trying to suggest. I'm not trying to suggest that if we do these things, then we'll be, we'll be loved. Um, in Isaiah 1, 11 to 17, I think there's a really good warning <laughs> uh, of this. So it says, why these frenzies of sacrifices? God's asking, don't you think I've had my fill of burnt sacrifices, rams and plump grain-fed calves? Don't you think I've had my fill of blood from bulls, lambs and goats? When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that, all this sheer commotion in the place provided for worship? Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. And then he goes on and on and on. Meetings, meetings, meetings. I can't stand one more. <laughs> um... Say no to wrong, learn to do good, work for justice, 
Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. So God's clearly, um, he hates He hates their worship. Um, and Isaiah is explaining that um, the people were coming to God in worship while their lives were happily continue, continuing in sinful living. Their unconfessed, unrepentant sins made their worship intolerable. So I think it was their unwillingness to repent. So their unwillingness to change, unwillingness to be formed. That was Isaiah 1, 11 to 17. I only read parts of it. Uh, but, so Romans, so this is kind of my go-to uh, scripture when I'm thinking about worship. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, this is Romans 12, 1 to 2, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I, I kind of highlighted the, the form, the forming pieces in there. Um, and Chris talked about renewing, actually, which I thought was interesting. Um, renewing is at least one definition, is the act or process of making like new. Um, so it's a process. Transformation is a process. I, I think sometimes we look for it to be some miraculous shift or change, um, but it, it happens from the rhythms and, and practices and slowly chipping away. It's this whole idea of like the slow kingdom, right? Um, I know that in our culture we can be tempted by quick, quick fixes and um, glamorous results. Um, so I just I think it's important to remember that um, the importance of continuing on and pressing in and and uh, just thinking about these rhythms and, and forms of worship. James K.A. Smith, who wrote Desiring the Kingdom, he said, Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It's where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. Any thoughts? Yeah. Actually, I actually have a thought, a really clear picture this week. You had, so, uh, I mean, you saw my Facebook post, but actually it was fairly significant. Um, last summer, so at the end of August, my kids, um, Last summer, they were collecting caterpillars and watching the monarchs turn into butterflies. And the monarch will only take the 
two weeks to transform that stuff. Um, but black swallowtails will actually overwinter, and sometimes they'll stay in their cocoons for quite a long time. <laughs> and their cocoons are not pretty. They're not pretty. They're not pretty. You would, if, you, if you saw it in the grass, you wouldn't even notice it. You know, monarchs are beautiful, shiny. They actually have like gold flecks on them. This one, no, they're they're ugly. They're ugly cocoons. Um, but we have two of them. We put them in this netting thing, and uh, it's been sitting on our porch all winter. It's been blown around. Like it's just a netting thing. It's super light, so every time it moves, it goes tossing across the porch. Like I, I'm like, okay, well, I'm just picking it up, picking it up, picking it back. Putting back these two cocoons in, who knows what's going to happen? I'm pretty sure they're dead. You can't see anything that's happening, but my kids insist that we just keep putting back and keep. I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? Last week, I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday, my kids come charging into the house with such excitement. I couldn't, like, I couldn't continue. I couldn't even understand what they were saying. They were hopping up and down. I was so excited. Mama! One of the butterflies had come out of his cocoon. After 10 months of being in this ugly cocoon, you could not see what was happening and for all intents and purposes, we think this thing should be dead because of the abuse that it is taking inside that cocoon. And, and it was out and it, and it just had landed in such a way that it was still underneath the netting so it couldn't fly away yet. Mm. And it was like, Mom, 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 it happened! And it was this perfect, perfect butterfly that had just been so completely formed and transformed. such a great story. Can we step into that for a minute? And I feel like we, can we pray for you as a community? Is that, is that okay? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I had another thing that was kind of, and I think it's really resonant with this. So I was thinking this language of formation, right? Forms. Well, uh, how does a form work? Um, a form works by applying pl- pressure. There has to be pressure from somewhere in order for it to take on the characteristics, uh, right? And so with cement, what's the pressure? The pressure is gravity, right? Um, sometimes when you think of other forms, it's applied pressure, right? So that it takes the nuances if you're uh, like a, a clay or, or, or whatever. And I'm just thinking about this pressure. Well, what's the pressure? And um, in Andrea, with your story, um, I think that it, for me in the picture of it, the act of worship w- was the picking it up and putting it back over and over and over again. 
like just picking up and putting it back. And I was thinking, okay, so what's the pressure? What's the applied pressure? Well, hope. The hope of your kids, maybe. But hope is the applied pressure in that space. And so just as a, like, it's just a focus, Lord, just, um, I think that might be an invitation from the Lord. What's the applied pressure that forms us as worshipers? I, I, think, it might, I think it might be hope which might be a pill for some of us to swallow some of the time because if it's just a dead, beat-up-looking cocoon, you know, it's like, what am I, what are we doing, what are we doing? So anyway, so that was resonant, this idea of hope um, as pressure, as a formation pressure. That it, anyway. Jesus, thank you that you're always working, <clears throat> even though sometimes we can't see it. Thank you that you are transforming us, that you are making us more beautiful. 